As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic on the show this week. Another great game for the neutral, but when, oh when, will Newcastle find that first win? From Paul Robinson to Sean Longstaff, is Newcastle a nightmare for youngsters? And when ticking along meets Ticky Tacker, yes, we'll be having an in-depth look into Steve Bruce's tactics. No, really, honestly, we will. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne, and this is Pod on the Tyne. And joining me, as always this week, are the Athletics Newcastle United correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, George Colkin. How are we doing, fellas? George, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I can answer all of those questions that you've just asked. Who cares about neutrals? That's the first thing they're <laughs> saying. Yeah. Um, and when will we win when we play Norwich? Is Newcastle a nightmare Good. for youngsters? No, it's a nightmare for everybody. And Steve Good. Bruce's tactics, Let's. who are we trying to kid? Come on, move on. Nice one. That's all from Pod in the Time this week. We'll, uh, we'll speak to you next week. Cheers. Bye-bye. See you all next week. Nice and chirpy start there, George. Lovely stuff. Thank you. Chris, how are you? What you been looking into this week, apart from bin bags full of various offcuts of meat, I presume? Is that a euphemism for me dealing with Newcastle United, or is that what I actually do in real life? I mean, that's a... <laughs> yeah, That's no way to been... refer to the team. It has been awful, hasn't oh, it, Chris? God. Oh, no. Um, but no, I have been looking into... Uh, I was at... Uh, the game on Saturday at Vicarage Road and I looked into that match mm. and obviously we're going to discuss it more later but basically about how Newcastle now are the game that, that the team every neutral want to watch their matches because there's so many goals in them but the issue is Newcastle fans won't so much because their team can't win so that is that is primarily what I've been looking at yeah but can, can sorry sorry so they were last on match of the day can I just point that out 
So if they're yeah. so great, wasn't the neutrals. Good, was it? Well, that's why, what I. F- I mean, last on that was always going to be the issue, though, wasn't it? When it was Man City against Chelsea, and then Man United missing a penalty in the ninety-first minute or whatever it was. That the game, the game itself was. A re- if you were neutral watching the game on and Saturday, Norwich and Norwich playing Leeds and Everton playing whoever they played, I don't know. Well, maybe that was Sunday. That'll be that giant Premier League conspiracy <laughs> theory yet again, stopping us from yeah. enjoying ourselves. That's what that is. <laughs> Anyway, fine. Sorry, Chris, I interrupted. That's quite all right. That's quite all right. I was, I'd, I'd sort of lost my train of thought. So, um, good. good. Oh, but, but just on a separate note, George got offended when I spoke to him earlier today because I'd be, I went to a pub quiz last night, and he made a sort of joke about, oh, if you need someone extra to to come and join your team, and I was basically like, well, definitely not you, George. But he's adamant that that quizzes. Of a, of the pub variety or something he can actually do so maybe we should bring it back Taylor maybe the quiz should be brought back hmm. no I've got I've got look I've got g- decent general knowledge I I can if there's like a music round I'm quite good at that as long as it's music from the eighties and you're you know you're too young for that if I'm asked specific questions to do with football or my job yeah. as long as it's nothing to do with the actual thing that you get paid to do hey eh, George yes that's true I try to I try to banish all thought of that from my head. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Excellent. Anyway, how are you, Taylor? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, I've been a bit under the weather this week. I've had a little bit of a sniffle, a bit oh, of a dear. sore throat, uh, but I'm okay about. now. I'm, uh, yeah, there, there is quite a lot of it about, uh, but I'm, I'm a lot better now, uh, and I'm feeling absolutely giddy at the prospect of spending another hour or so in the in the presence of you two lads. So, let's crack on, shall we? In the pleasance, yeah. Let's do that. In the pleasance. Uh, the Athletic are still offering 33% off new subscriptions to podcast listeners. Uh, so get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of that special offer. Come on, you Maggies. Right then. Watford won, Newcastle United won another week and another result that got away from us uh, down at Vicarage Road. Let's start there. Uh, Newcastle, Chris, were incredibly profligate, weren't they? And let's be honest, they should have been outside by half-time. Uh, but yet again, we've only managed to come away with the one point. Yeah, it was absolutely extraordinary. that the, I mean, actually, the goal they scored was from one of the more difficult opportunities they had as well. Um, arguably, uh, Ben Foster it should was. have saved it, but that, yeah. that's not a takeaway from how good a strike it was from Sean Longstaff, who had been presented with the same opportunity twice before that. I'm not sure what highlights people have, have seen yes. elsewhere, but basically, exactly the same thing had happened from two corners where the ball had gone to, to Sean Longstaff. He'd put the other two over the bar, but this one went into the top corner. The second one he, that he put wide, I was convinced it was in. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was so close. But, I mean, in terms of open play... Newcastle shifted to uh, the system. They actually lined up when they first lined up at the start of the game. Isaac Hayden was stood as a right centre back, as if it was going to be a five, as if they were going to play the five. And then immediately, <laughs> about fifteen seconds in, he moved further forward and sort of sat behind uh, the, the at the base of the midfield. So it changed. To, they, they did play in a four-three-three. Cunning, cunning. That's a quick change, that isn't it? That's quick. Cunning. No, that's a cunning attempt at dissembling. Watch this, lads. The They'll never suss this one out. Well, it worked, to be fair, in terms <laughs> of it did bamboozle Watford to a certain degree. Newcastle going forward. The Sam Maximan, in a, in, in a strange sort of way, wasn't as central as he has been in other games, but equally he's still put in a couple of excellent passes to his teammates. He also should have scored when he uh, intercepted a terrible back pass from uh, Craig Cathcart. But the, the likes of Sam Maximan, Almiron, oh, yeah. uh, 
bombing forward. He was actually playing an attacking position again. Looks so much better in that role. Joe Willock, despite Steve Bruce having ruled him out on Friday, Joe Willock starts and then shows his fitness and actually is marauds forward in the box as well. Joe Linton, first half, had arguably, I think, one of his best games for Newcastle in terms of his effectiveness. But the problem was they just couldn't Mm. actually put the ball into the back of the net. And it's just that same old story of it felt inevitable. Once it got past the hour mark and Newcastle had only scored once, it felt inevitable what was going to happen. Great for the neutrals, George, wasn't it? But like you said at the top of the show, who who cares cares about the neutrals? Who cares? Why do people keep mentioning neutrals? Are there any neutrals know. listening to this podcast? I very much doubt it. If so, why are you why are you wasting some your Swiss time people on this maybe? Rubbish? Yes, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I said I said last week that if Newcastle are going to be terrible at football, or they're, you know, terrible at getting results, I prefer them to be terrible this way than last season's way when they just sat there and did nothing and waited for the opposition to kind of dribble the ball around them and score. So it is. Um, it's it's sort of topsy turvy. I mean, I think you said something like on. On Twitter on Saturday, at one point, I can't believe I can't believe this or something. I can't. What did you say, Tony? You said something like that, didn't you? I just couldn't. I couldn't believe that we hadn't won the game, and it was yeah. it was when we were one 0 up. It genuinely looked like there was only team, only one team going to win it, and we should yeah. have been three, even four 0 up by by half time. And when it went to one one, I just thought it's so typical of us. But I just couldn't yeah. believe that we had done it again. It. it <sighs> It's almost like they never learn from their mistakes, you know? So I've spent literally nanoseconds working on this stat, okay? So it's almost certainly wrong. Chris might be able to tell me. This time last season, after six games against West Ham, Brighton, Spurs, Burnley, Man United and Wolves, Newcastle had mustered 34 shots, both on target and off target, so in total, which is an average of 5.66 shots per game. This season, after games against West Ham, Villa, Southampton? Yes, Man United, Leeds and Watford, Newcastle have mustered 66 shots, which is an average of 11 per game. So we're shooting more. So we're shooting almost twice as much. Almost twice as much as this time last season. And I think that is fairly... And please, if that is wrong, I I honestly don't care at all. Um, But um, that does tell us something, doesn't it? I mean, so in none of those games last season did Newcastle get into double figures in terms of shots. And in every game apart from Villa and Manchester United, perhaps not surprisingly, um, Newcastle haven't got into double figures in terms of shots, but they've still got got to eight and nine. So there definitely has been a change in the way Newcastle are approaching matches. I mean, I know that how rudimentary that stat is, but it is it is kind of better. And as I said before, I am being stupid, but I would prefer to win a game one all by having nine million shots and not taking chances than I would. Um, you know, doing absolutely nothing all game and then having one lucky breakaway and, and doing that. So there's a definite change going on. Um, I am, you know, worried about the lack of wins, but at least there is something... It's more progressive, isn't it? It's more progressive. It's a more progressive way of being rubbish. It's certainly more progressive than sitting on the edge of your own box and waiting yeah. for the other team to shoot, which is what we were yeah. doing before. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is more progressive in that respect. Uh, but the sucker punch, Chris, came... Again, from a, a, a poorly defended set piece. Um, I, at the minute, it kind of feels like every time Newcastle face a corner, that something dangerous is going to happen. And, and of course, there was a flick on, and then Saar pulled away at the back post and nodded at home. It, 
this keeps happening, doesn't it? They keep they, they don't look particularly organised back there. Well, they keep conceding sloppy goals. I mean, the 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 thing again about what I'm going to say is that actually in the Watford game, this doesn't actually apply as much. So I thought the, the piece that I wrote after the game was sort of explaining this, that Newcastle are in this new expansive way and actually they are creating these opportunities and, and they missed loads on Saturday and, and they're creating a lot of opportunities against their teams. But they are then shipping so many chances to the to, to the opposition as well. So in, in Newcastle's games this season, their matches average 3.5 goals per game across both teams, but... Newcastle are only scoring one point two of those. They're conceding two point three themselves per mm. game, and that is that that is the all problem right, at the moment. Right. They're just all right, Mister Stats. All right, I I bring out <laughs> a, I bring out a stat, and you have to try and go one better. Bloody mm. hell! It's like I pull a knife, you pull a gun. That's the Chicago way. That's the way yeah. you get Capone. Wow, is my stat right? Was my stat right? Probably not. I, I, I haven't looked at that specific stat, but in terms of season on season, well, Newcastle's well, maybe are, are having far more opportunities. So in the in the 2019-20 season, across the course of the whole season, they averaged 10.5 shots per game. It was 10.4 last season. They're up to 14.2 so far this year. Shots on target are up. Uh, goals are haven't the, the issue is they haven't actually translated into goal. Expected goals are up, but the actual goals haven't translated this to going it. up too much. This They're missing it, too many opportunities. All these stats and, and XG, it's all lovely, isn't it? But if you don't put the ball in the net, then it doesn't mean anything. Well, that's a problem. And, and again, this this the crucial the crucial issue is there's no Cal Wilson at the moment, and they've made the decision not to play with the centre forward. I mean, Dwight Gale came on to play his first eight minutes of the season, or however long he played on Saturday. Joe Willock clearly isn't 100% fit yet, although he is becoming more effective. He's not quite getting in the same positions as last season. I'm going to write about that for later in the week. And so if they don't have that, I mean, I think they've only won two of the 15 games Callum Wilson's missed since he's been at, uh, at Newcastle. They're so reliant on Callum Wilson's goals and they're desperate need him back. That's the thing with stats. You can use stats to prove anything, can't you? And at the moment, as we've said already, you can use them to prove that Newcastle United are very bad. Uh, but who cares about stats? When you have to deal with Jacob Murphy going through one-on-one with a goalkeeper in the last few minutes of the game to seal all three points. And let's be honest, John Anderson is all of us, isn't he, in this situation? Can he play a colleague through? It's Jacob Murphy released. Murphy one-on-one. Jacob Murphy to win it. Oh, you'd, I mean, oh. A, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Ando oh, ever. Who's, you know, he still has the most murderous eyes in football. But uh, that is just, it's just, oh God, it's just brilliant. Yeah. I want that as a ringtone. Absolutely. Also. That should be a message alert. You know, when you get a message through, that should come out. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah he, he had another one in the first half as well when, when St. Maximin had that chance off the back pass and he again it came to Longstaff and it went over the bar and he shouted again, put it in the net. Uh, it just uh, sums it up, doesn't uh, it? It's exa- everything to do with being a Newcastle fan is summed up in that few seconds. I want to jump a little bit to the, the to the defence of Jacob Murphy. Oh, <sighs> you would. How are you? Come on, this it, wa- it was an abysmal finish, but he also he, he tried to replicate the goal that he scored away at Man City when he did exactly the same thing in 2018. He did. He, he had exactly the same finish. He was clean through on goal and he scored at the Etihad. And it's a finish he clearly knows well. Yes, he cocked it up. Yes, it was an awful finish. But if that's what he's confident doing, I haven't. I, it was so frustrating to watch, and he should have scored. But I just, I, I'm, I'm not quite on board with the idea that he just should never try that finish. If he scored that way before, I haven't got that. No, 
you've got this you've got this wrong you've got this wrong we have not come here to bury jacob murphy we have come here to praise yes, john exactly. anderson i wasn't just talking about i wasn't just talking this about a positive it's not a negative i think he's coming for a bit of flack elsewhere um and i just wanted to defend him a little bit he should have scored though chris shouldn't he come on i mean let's you know you can you're a you're allowed to say when someone's missed a chance oh, that no, no. was shit. No, you I, haven't got, that I haven't got a problem with that. But I equally, I'd, 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 it's the it's the idea that he should never have tried that finish. He scored with that finish before. It's clearly a finish he's usually confident with. He completely cocked it up on that occasion. But I'm um, just jumping to his defence a little bit. For me, when he's running at pace like that, he, he, it's just to touch it to the side around the goalkeeper. The keeper's got no chance. He squared him up. Just chop, just chop it to the side and put it past him. It, it, I know it sounds easy. Me sitting here as a as a overweight man with asthma can can tell everyone how to score goals, but you know, like it just. But it's like it's like it's it's we've we've done this before. It's like the Penenka. It's like the like the sort of Penenka argument. And my argument: you can take a, you can you can you can take a good penalty and miss and score with a bad penalty. I know that the bigger picture is if you score, that's the end. But with a finish like that, you're running. There are so many things that can go wrong. I mean, I think that's yeah. the, I think that's the sort of that's the sort of point that I would make. Whereas if you just twat it. You've oh, got not, more of a chance of it. Of it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm I can not understand him. Keep it simple. I can understand. No, Keep it simple. Chris, I can understand him doing it if we were two or three one up. Yes. I can understand it then. You know, trying to put a little bit of finesse on the end, stick the cherry on the cake, that kind of thing. But when it's to win the game and it's and it's 2-1, it's to go 2-1 in the 80 or 88th minute or whatever it was, you, you, you don't want to be faffing around. You just want to put it in. Put the ball in the net, as John Anderson says. Let's live our life by those <laughs> rules. Just put the ball put in the it net. In the net. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. There was a lot of anger coming out. There was like sort of I think there was a good ten years of there frustration. Um, you know, Ando who has to sit through. I mean, as you know, Chris does, but uh, who has to sit through every every game, home and away, week in week out, and thinking of, you know do it in a way that's neither boring nor repetitive or whatever there was a lot of frustration coming out in that I Ando and, and Razor are great though I really enjoy listening to their commentary that's it's They're fantastic brilliant. stuff um, yeah. just a quick question that's came in from the uh, the real-time feed on the athletic app Martin T asks uh, where do you see our first win actually coming from at this rate Christmas songs will be on the radio before we get three points George what do you reckon it's Christmas time. Um, I've already answered uh, this, Martin. It will be um, Newcastle at home to Norwich on December the 1st. So by which time, yes, indeed, there will be a lot of uh, Christmas songs on the radio. Which which current Newcastle player do you think would sing a Christmas song? Because, you know, obviously we've had like Gaza and people singing previously. Who, who do you think, who would you select to sing your Christmas song for the Newcastle God. Chris, are you injecting whimsy into the into the running order without any kind of pre-approval? What is happening here? Stats. What are you doing? A really annoying stats and now whimsy. So, in other words, okay, well, do it a slightly a different way. If Newcastle were to get to a cup final... <laughs> <laughs> and there was... Uh, oh, sorry. George, sorry, that's just card, ridiculous. I, I can't even... I, <laughs> I can't even finish that. And they were to release a cup final single. Who who would be the sort of John Barnes, as it were, or you know who would be the main? Um, I've got no idea. I don't even know why I'm persisting with this nonsense. I think Jalinton could do a sort of quite good Ozzy Ardiles um, sort of cameo. I would quite we'll like try that. Try and do the voice. You know, do I the voice, George. Do the voice. 
I can't even remember. I was trying to do that. I can't even. Aussie's gone to Wembley. In the Cup 4. I can't remember what the. In the Cup 4, Tottingham. In the Tottingham. In the Cup for Tottingham. That's the one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's no obvious um, pop pop stars are in there. Not in, a, not, not in amongst our squad at the moment. Alan St. Maximum probably, I think, is the closest thing we've got to a rock star, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of Let's course. Be Jeff Hendrick. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Hendrick. Jeff Hendrick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. This is absolute waffle. Anyway, we'll be back in a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right then, here we go again. Alan Shearer followed up his chats with Andy Carroll by catching up with another former Newcastle striker. Uh, when you're putting together a list of names that got away, Paul Robinson is not necessarily near the top, but he broke into a star-studded squad when Newcastle had genuine European pedigree and showed a rare eye for goal as well. So why did he decide to leave the club and why didn't things go to plan at Wimbledon? George, uh, tell us a little bit more about Paul Robinson and his post-Newcastle career and, he's, and the discussion he had with The Athletic this week. So the whole idea behind this piece was that in his other gig on Match of the Day, Alan Shearer talked about the time that Paul Robinson asked to take one of his penalties. And that was the famous game, so Bobby's first home match as, uh, as Newcastle manager. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 8-0 and Alan scored five, including two penalties. And Paul Robinson asked to take the second penalty. And as he put it in the interview, Alan's response, couldn't remember Alan's exact response, but the second word was off. And the reason he mentioned this on Match of the Day was because Richarlison had tried to uh, nab a penalty for Everton when Dominic Calvert-Lewin was the um, penalty taker. And it was the only time that happened in Alan's career. So that got him thinking. And of course, August comes around every year and it's the anniversary of the incredible, dramatic, apocalyptic um 2-1 home defeat to Sunderland when Paul Robinson started uh, and Sylvia Marich ahead of uh, Shearer and Duncan Ferguson and of course it turned out to be Rude Hullett's last match Robinson was the young Sunderland supporting uh, player who was uh, who was in the team and then had been around the first team by the end of that season he left from Wimbledon something that he described as the worst decision in his life didn't play and then kind of embarked on this like mazy sort of career, but really falling out of love with football and ended up moving away from the game, came back in non-league, went bankrupt, has done all variety of jobs and is now a delivery driver back in the northeast. So it's a sort of very interesting human human interest story. And um, but yeah, I mean, and kind of one of those sliding door things. I'm not saying, you know, I don't think Alan thinks that if if that 
Sunderland result had gone the other way, he would have fallen out of football because he wouldn't. He'd have, but he would have left Newcastle, and I'm sure he would have gone to another very, you know, he'd have gone to a big club. But he said that was the, it was this power play, and you know, if Newcastle had won, you know, what would Paul Robinson have ended up doing? You know, would he have stayed at Newcastle? Um, how would his career panned out? You know, there would be no statue of Shearer on Barrett Road. He wouldn't be Newcastle's leading goal scorer and life could have gone in a, a very different direction I mean for Paul it's been incredibly traumatic and, and difficult a lot of it um, and so yeah it's one of those kind of fascinating stories It's a story that we hear quite a lot though isn't it George a, a young footballer you know the career goes wrong financial difficulties etc lead to other problems and and then uh, eventually the, the, the you know misery ensues but it it's it's really hard when you uh when when you have to listen to that, isn't it? And like you say, it's a sliding doors moment. And and on the one hand, it kind of made Alan Shearer at Newcastle, but on the other hand, it it, it had a different effect on Paul Robinson completely. Uh, what do we remember about Paul as a player, Chris? Um, I don't remember that much about Paul as a player, to be perfectly honest, because I was quite young. I was about well, I was seven years old, I think, then. It's not an excuse, no, Chris. Um, I mean, I I do I do, the, the the association I have Paul Robinson is that is that moment with, with Alan Shearer when he asked to take the penalty and doesn't get to take the penalty and then obviously the Sunderland game that is that is where what he has been remembered for but when when you speak to people and and, and obviously Sir Bobby Robson gave him a few opportunities as well after Ruthold had he, he was a player who clearly had some talent and then he went he went to non-league football and scored a heck of a lot of goals didn't he George? Oh yeah he did he did yeah I mean I do remember him he was I mean I'm, I'm not sure that I ever thought he was particularly um, you know, in the Shearer bracket, a player, but he was very willing. He had an absolute fearlessness, as you would say. I mean, he's, he's still very sim. He's still very similar as a bloke. I don't think he's changed as a as a sort of man. He's like a motor mouth, and he's he's kind of very chirpy and chatty, in spite of the sort of difficulties he's been through. And yeah, there was this fearlessness, and he, as he said, there was an arrogance about him. The previous week before the uh, Sunderland game. Shearer had actually been suspended because he'd been sent off in an earlier match, and he played he played played pretty well. And it was in his mindset that if he was in the team ahead of Alan Shearer, that it was because he was better than him. And you know that sounds that sounds ridiculous now, but of course football. I mean, you know, Shearer was the same at one point. He came into the Southampton team at seventeen, and he was taking somebody else's place. I mean, that's what football is: week in, week out. You're kind of battling with people to take their place or to hold them off. And so he got in the team, and the manager, you know, the manager decided to pick him. So, but he, one of the sort of interesting things he said was that at 21 he stopped learning. That was the point. He stopped learning. He was he got in the team, and that was it. He'd made it. And I mean, it had been a sort of ridiculous rise for him. But you know, whereas someone like Shearer had to adapt his game over the course of his career and had to change and, you know, became a different kind of player. He just didn't learn anything. And he lived at home at the time and he moved to Wimbledon. And, you know, sometimes we talk about people's bodies not being kind of brilliantly equipped for football. Sometimes people just aren't sort of ready for it mentally. And I don't think he he had the maturity necessary. He struggled. He was he was put he, he was in a hotel um, had nobody to talk to. Um, then they, he was put in a kind of tower block. He described it as a shithole, and um, you know he just didn't know kind of what to do with himself, and sort of fell out with people. And it sounds, I mean, football can be certainly back then can be sort of you know could could be very negligent. And he sort of said he spoke to the manager at Wimbledon, Terry Burton, 
and said, why aren't you playing with me? And and he alleges that Burton said to him, well, you're not the player we thought we were signing. And so that was that. I mean, it was kind of very arbitrary. Um, and so he fell out of, you know, he fell out of love very, very quickly, but probably didn't have the sort of, you know, the mentality to sort of, to thrive and learn. And it was only v- right at the end of his career again that he he rediscovered that. And it's... The nice part of the story is that he's now he's now coaching. His um, his his middle kid um, is uh, is playing for Sunderland and Middlesbrough's academy as well. And the coaching he's doing, he says, it's not just talented players; it's people who can't kick a ball but want to smile. And so you know, very nice sort of stuff. He does that one-on-one coaching at weekends, and then he's kind of getting messages from parents saying, "Oh, you know, our our lad." scored in the penalty this lunchtime he's absolutely made up that's never happened some have gone into Sunday league but it's about you know football as enjoyment which of course it should be and he didn't have that for a lot of his career um and has kind of come back to kind of rediscover that which is a very nice um you know which is a kind of a very nice epitaph absolutely uh, and Chris Newcastle youngsters we we don't tend to produce too many of them do we um, Sean Longstaff obviously had a good moment this week, but it, you know his time at, at Newcastle and and more notably probably his brothers as well has been very haphazard. Is there something? Is there something in the air at Newcastle? I mean, you know, there's Jermaine Genesis' famous uh, fishbowl comment, or is, is the city just a, a uniquely difficult place for for young affluent men to ply their trade? Is there something about Newcastle which just doesn't lend itself well to to producing youth players? I mentioned Sean Longstaff. I mean, Matty Longstaff has struggled a little bit since going up to Aberdeen on his loan spell. He's been left out of the last two uh, match day 11s, hasn't got on either, so it hasn't started particularly well for him up in, in Scotland. And I don't think it. I don't think it is um, the case that the the youngsters can't come through at Newcastle and do well. Obviously, historically, Newcastle have produced some some wonderful players, the likes of Gaza and Chris Waddle and and and. Beardsy, I know Beardsy went elsewhere and then came back, but still he was still a and the local talent that there is. I I don't necessarily take that point on board. Newcastle in its current incarnation, I don't think have done well enough to to nurture their young talent. I don't think, to be fair, even pre Mike Ashley towards sort of the, the mid two thousands, I don't think enough young players came through and really made their way. And that's something Newcastle really should address. It's the one thing I've never under. I mean, there's so sorry, there's so many things I've never understood about the Mike Ashley era, but. In terms of this idea of of self sustainability and, and and also wanting to to sort of save money on transfer fees and the like, well, the best way of doing that would be to to make the academy so good that players were able to make the step up and and push from from the under twenty threes obviously into into the first team. That hasn't happened regularly enough in Newcastle. There hasn't been enough investment in that. There hasn't been enough focus on that. And so, I think that's more of a problem rather than Jimmy Genius's fishbowl comment i think for him coming from elsewhere and into newcastle it probably was different but i think for a lot of uh, youngsters who grow up in the area and understand it i don't think that is so much of, of an issue i think that just that there isn't that necessarily that pathway that there should be okay well fingers crossed uh obviously steve harp is the man in charge now of our of our youth setup so fingers crossed he should start taking us in the right direction uh, and if you want to read that uh, that piece by alan shearer with uh, paul robinson get yourself onto the athletic.com and pick up a subscription uh right we'll be back in just a moment
So, uh, our next match is away at Wolves. It's another winnable fixture. Well, at least it should be. Uh, but it'll be Steve Bruce's 95th match in charge of, uh, of Newcastle, and there's still no discernible tactical template. Uh, let's talk about some of the things we still don't know about Steve Bruce's Newcastle United. Uh, Chris, let's let's start with up front. Um, with and without Callum Wilson, we're like two completely different prospects, aren't we? But the nearest like for like that we have in the squad would be Dwight Gale, but he's not getting a he's not getting a kick of the ball, is he? It just seems a strange concept to me that that you the Newcastle are so reliant on on Callum Wilson's goals when he's fit. You give Dwight Gale. A three-year contract, and then when Wilson's out and Newcastle are missing a hatful of opportunities, and they missed some decent chances against Leeds as well. And Dwight Gill didn't even get on that game, and then he only came on for the final seven or eight minutes at Watford and barely got a kick by that stage because the momentum had already shifted away from Newcastle. I, I don't really understand. I don't think that Dwight Gill is quite as good an all-round player as Callum Wilson. He obviously doesn't have the same top-flight record as Callum Wilson, but he is a striker, and he is in their squad, he's a finisher. I don't understand. If, if he's not going to play when Callum Wilson isn't fit and Newcastle need goals, when is when is he going to play? So I, 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 I just can't, I don't understand that one at all. Yeah, me neither. George, what's what's your thoughts on this? I mean, up, up front is where the problem is at the minute and obviously the, the lack of uh, cutting edge against uh, against Watford was a, was a major thing. Um, what, what's your thoughts on Dwight Gale? Well, why has he been given a three-year contract or whatever the contract is. I mean, that's the thing that we don't understand. And I think those I think those seven minutes against Watford were his first league minutes this season, weren't they, Chris? Yes. Thank you. Bit of a delay there, but while well, you racked your huge brain for the answer, but thank you. And yeah, so I don't understand it. I mean, I don't think any of us seriously think that Dwight Gale is the answer, but at the same time, if you've got a source of goals out, then surely you you try and find room for a centre forward a bit more often, and I, d- I don't understand it. As Chris said to an earlier point, you start looking for flaws in logic, mm. and then you just don't stop. Do that you? that almost given that given Gale that contract to me almost felt like punting it into the long grass and making it somebody else's problem further down the line. You know, it it it, it wasn't a progressive uh, move, was it? it? I don't think it was very forward thinking, but it was essentially just well, you know, let's just keep him here. There's nobody else. We might as well just uh, just give him an extension. Yeah, exactly, and it 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 has done those things. It's just it's now. I mean, so if you if you think about how much Carroll played last season, I mean, I know largely ineffectually, or you know, he might he would argue differently, but eighteen appearances. So you you haven't got that, and now you've not got Dwight Gale featuring either. It's just it's it's just a very strange position to be in, and. You would have thought, you know, you would have thought again, albeit if you put Dwight Gale on the pitch, you have to take somebody else off, and it's a different, slightly different way of playing. That's he's someone who's spent his entire career scoring goals, so and that was the one thing that Newcastle needed at the weekend. So, you know, it's not necessarily straightforward. I think when Gale, you know, I think when Gale has started matches, you you do come away thinking that's not the answer, but. At the same time, you know, Newcastle have players out and and have Wilson out, and if you want to score a goal, then the the best person to do that is presumably a, is you know a striker. Chris, the back the back three slash back five appears to have been jettisoned, um, but based on on you know the teams that we're playing and stuff like that, do you see uh, Steve Bruce reintroducing the back three slash back five? 
Well, I actually asked Steve Bruce on Saturday after the game about changing to the formation, to which he replied with, I think the statistics, Chris, I will give you them, to then he went on to give an answer where he didn't give me any statistics in it, uh, other than to say that uh, Newcastle changed to to a back four, after, uh, back yeah. five, sorry, after the loss to Brighton last season. Um, but he basically finished his answer by saying, um, you've got to have the ability to change. Certainly we have played well in the last couple with it, referring to back four. So look, we concentrate on that for next week also. So I think that at least in the short term, that this is going to be the way Newcastle are going to play. We've said, basically since the first podcast of this season, I said to you, Taylor, that there were concerns from some people inside the club that as soon as things started to go wrong, the formation that they worked so long on would we bend and they'd move on to something else. They are looking better playing this way. I haven't really got an issue with switching towards that, but it's not a foolproof system. There's no foolproof way of just changing to Newcastle squad. It comes back to, to this short blanket, the Rafa Benitez quote. There's still some issues here. And... I think that Newcastle are creating more opportunities this way. They actually didn't... Cons- I mean, they did ship a lot of chances if, if you look at the statistics on Saturday, but a lot of them were from distance that, that Watford had. They didn't. But I do think that better teams will expose the likes of Matt Ritchie at left-back, the lack of pace in the middle of the park, uh, def- in the middle of Newcastle's central, central defence. So there are issues with it, but I do think that 4-3-3 is yet to stay at least for the next few weeks. I bet they go to three at the back against Chelsea. But then that's all five at the back against Chelsea. But I mean, I'm just I'm only saying that because I think I think he might perhaps that might be the way that might be the way forward. I mean, the other point is talking about short blankets and all that sort of stuff. One of the you could tell at the start of this season, really, it was a system built around Shelby, and Shelby's Shelby's been out, and so what happens when Shelby comes back? Does he try and find a place for for Shelby? And how does he do that? And how does he offer protection around that? So, I mean, I, I just, there's no, you know, Newcastle are still unbalanced. They have this lack of balance in the squad. And again, we're just going, I mean, this is an old, it's old arguments to go through, but I don't think there is an obvious answer. You know, I don't think there's a catch-all answer. Um, but it's like we're sort of searching for this magic formula and I don't think it exists. I mean, I just do not think it exists. It's. I mean, one of the one of the positives that's come out of the last couple of games, I thought, was was Miguel Almiron, probably from the Man United game onwards. I think he's looked like he's been a lot more freed up in this uh, slightly changed formation, slightly changed position that he's being used in, um, and he seems to be getting the ball a lot more and getting forward a lot more and uh, and stuff like that, and a bit more the old Miggy that we uh, that we had beforehand. With the five three two, it does seem to nullify him somewhat, Chris. Doesn't yeah, it? I mean, I, I've raised this sort of issue previously many times with, with the Miguel Almiron when he's playing as a midfielder or as a, as a number eight, whatever, however you want to say. He will he will always work hard. He will always do the defensive element there. But I thought he was he was shackled in, in what he could do. Whereas in the last game and two third, uh, yeah, game and two thirds, we've seen a lot more of what he can do in terms of in broken play, driving forward with the ball. He's ne- he's never going to score. That regularly because I don't think he ha- I don't think he's that composed once he gets in front of goal. But I I do think that he can be so devastating in tandem with Sam Maximan and, and Willick that those sorts of players driving forward from deep. And I, I like that's what I've seen from Newcastle. I think that the previous system he couldn't do as much of that. Willick was more suited to that role, although he looked good in a, in a four three three. I thought on uh, on Saturday. So yeah, I I think that this hopefully will bring a bit more out of Miguel Almiron. Absolutely, George. Do you do you feel like Bruce's lack of a tactical strategy is is more so a result of the transfer policy of the club? 
maybe? Well, I mean, one of my long-term theories is that, you know, is that the summer that he arrived disrupted a huge amount. And so, again, I'm not I'm not trying to give him excuses here because I think two and a bit years down the line, I think Newcastle should be in better shape. But, you know, bringing in Jalinton, again, a player that, you know, they had no idea what to do with, replacing a player that he wasn't equipped to replace, um, you know, was just such a bonkers bizarre, crazy, illogical thing to do. Obviously losing Perez, obviously losing Rondon. Um, although, you know, that was the club that was the club's decision. And I think it's taken I think it's sort of taken a long time. I mean I, there, there was no obvious tactical solution at the start. I think he's taken far too long to um you know to kind of come up with an answer. I think that's you know I think that's not unduly harsh. He has been undermined this summer by the club only bringing in Joe Willock. And so um, the options that he wanted at centre-half and in, in midfield haven't been delivered. So, I mean, you know, all managers want want more players all the time. I mean, that's, you know, that's that goes without saying. But, I mean, yes, I think I think he has been, he has been undermined from within, um, albeit, you know, the first summer... Um, he wasn't within at that point, really, because all of those deals were, you know, none of those deals were were his. Although that he signed, he signed them off, and you know that's that stuff makes life more difficult. Having said all of that, though, I still think um, Newcastle should be better and should be more more. What's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm sort of stretching for? I think there should just be more sort of rigorousness and more organisation in the way that they play. Yeah. I, th- I think there needs to be more care. I think there needs to be a little bit more care and a little bit more thought put into this. Um, I, I know you're saying, you know, Steve Bruce has been has been slightly hung out to dry by the, the club and their transfer policy, but at the end of the day, it is his job to get the best out of this squad, and, and, and that's what he's paid to do. And unfortunately, in my opinion, it feels like he's not doing that at the moment. Chris, the Matt Ritchie thing, we you mentioned that briefly a second ago. Um, somebody, uh, Aaron Kay here on the uh, on the real-time feed has asked, uh, while I can see the logic in Ritchie ahead of Lewis at left wing-back, and while not necessarily agreeing with it, how on earth can Ritchie be considered a better left-back option? Well, I, I asked Steve Bruce on Friday before Newcastle had shifted to, to the full permanent say I asked him whether Matt Ritchie was someone he would consider playing in a back four or whether he'd only done that against Leeds because he'd shifted within the game. And his response was basically, in the modern game, in his opinion, there isn't too much difference between left wing back and, and left back. That was That's paraphrasing. That was sort of what he said. And I was a little bit taken aback by that. He did play Matt Ritchie on Saturday and I was a little bit shocked that uh, after Saw drew booking out of him in the first 15 minutes that they didn't yeah. really try I to run down his channel again because both fullbacks actually were booked quite early on um, and I, I am concerned when he comes up against uh, better opposition him playing as, as as a left back and if Jamal Lewis can't play in a four in this in at this moment in time you do question again where is he going to play that's another strange sign and that was uh, more than a year ago now Newcastle paid 15 million for Jamal Lewis and, and we've barely seen him in 2021 um and so I am I, that is concern I don't really understand that as, a, as an option I, I mean I don't see him on train every week Steve Bruce hasn't spoken that much about Jamal Lewis recently but uh, you have to be concerned if Matt Ritchie who really is a, is a right winger by trade is playing left back ahead of Jamal Lewis when he's fit then I think that I think that that is a cause for concern as to as to how they see Jamal Lewis developing. 
Uh, and also, George, a uh, quick one for you, ASATM has asked, uh, if Graham Jones is our attacking coach, who is our defensive coach? And are they not working on defending corners? Um, well, Graham Jones is not Newcastle's attacking co- coach. So um, I hope that clears up a little bit. I think that's come from the the BBC Newcastle interview that Steve Bruce did when he did say that on, I think he said on that day, Graham Jones was working uh, on the attacking side and that he and Steve Agnew, I think, had been working on the defensive side, but that they switch it up. Um, they switch it up all the time. So there's no... Graham Jones is is a coach, as are the others, that there are no, there are no specific... Uh, coaches for position apart from goalkeeping coach but at the same time um i do i do sort of understand the question i mean if you're looking at if you're looking at newcastle's defensive record this season and how vulnerable they look at the back it is pretty it is startling and that is the other side you know that's the other side to the stats we were talking about at the top about um, creating more chances and um, having more shots and stuff like that. They look incredibly vulnerable. And I think that shifting defence and now shifting goalkeeper as well doesn't necessarily, you know, definitely doesn't help, but it's something he's felt necessary to keep doing to try and find an answer. But, yeah, no, it's it's been it's been very slack at the back. So just time for uh, a few reasons to be cheerful, chaps, before we finish up for the week. George, what, what's your thoughts? Well, it's a bit of an obvious one, but it's when we're talking about stats, I do just want to praise Steve Bruce's running stats. Um, because if you've not seen this clip, please just put, stick it into um, stick it into Twitter. In fact, go on to Alan's and Maximal's <laughs> Twitter feed, because there's a great clip from FIFA 22 where Almiron, I believe, scores... I mean, that's penalty. the most unbelievable part of this. Well, yeah, and the fact that Newcastle have actually won a game. Um, and then from the sidelines, the entire team pelt forward to greet Almiron. And they're all overtaken by Steve Bruce, which is, which is it's astonishing. And it does look exactly like Steve it Bruce. It's, it's, it's just wonderful. It's very, very it funny. Kicks the afterburners and, into um, me. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And Alain Saint-Maxima um, has, gone on, has gone on to Twitter to say... Hey, 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 FIFA! How come Steve Bruce's running stats are quicker than mine? He said, "How come, how come is, I only got ninety-one uh, pace and Steve fun. Bruce has got 99? <laughs> <laughs> but it is brilliant. It is beautiful. It's very fun. Chris, how about you, mate? Reasons to be cheerful. I have a slightly contentious one. Oh. Uh, oh, it's a miserable you statistic, but one which oh, negative gives me, Nelly, gives me, negative yeah, Nelly gives me encouragement. So this is courtesy of Opta Joe. Oh. Newcastle may be winless, but so are four other Premier League teams so far after six games: Norwich, Ooh. Burnley, Leeds, and Southampton. And it is only the second time that has happened since 1964-65 in the top flight. So there are four wow. other crap teams. So that is where I'm going to take a crumb of comfort and say that potentially three of them may finish below Newcastle this season. So Chris, just to be clear, your reason to be cheerful is that Newcastle United are shit, but there there are also four other teams that are shit as well. That's basically what you're saying. Correct. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, yeah. um, what's yours? My, oh, I don't know. We had twenty shots on goal. Uh, we, we haven't lost for two games. We've already done that. We've yeah, done I that. don't know, George. I have, a, no. I, have a, I have a deflating start to go with that. So the last time Newcastle <laughs> managed just to have that many 
shots on goal away from home in the Premier League was in uh, October 2015 when they lost 3-0 Sunderland. Um, in the oh, went down. so uh, let's hope that's not Norman. Steve Incredible wow. stuff. Well, that's yeah. a cheerful, cheerful ending. Reasons. That's a really cheerful ending to reasons to be cheerful, isn't it? <laughs> well done, Chris. Thanks for that, Chris. That's really helped. Oh well. Ah, just to finish off as well. Um, announced this morning, um, former Newcastle United centre defender Stephen Taylor has announced his retirement. Been playing his trade over in New Zealand, and apparently had just recently been made. Uh, captain for the forthcoming season uh, and now has decided that he's uh, hanging up his boots. Stephen Taylor was one of those characters when he, Giorgio, was give it all, but uh, he, he had some incredible moments in, in black and white, didn't he? And I think the sniper in the uh, in the Leeds' end was probably one of the ones that a lot of people can remember. Uh, and him celebrating Ryan Taylor's goal against Sunderland as if he'd scored it himself. Uh, that was another one as well. Stephen Taylor uh, retiring at the age of 35. Yeah, very good centre-half, but absolutely outstanding at amateur dramatics <laughs> and surely a career now, now, or certainly a hobby, lies ahead of him because I just think he needs to hone his craft a little bit. But uh, in terms of enthusiasm, amateur dramatics, yeah, I mean, you know, possibly possibly even something um, professional. He could, he's got another career there. There's another great clip on, uh, on Twitter of him before Johan Gabay scores a scores a wonderful free kick of him just standing in front of the Stoke goalkeeper imitating him every time he raises an arm or two arms or says something and he runs back into the wall then runs back out again and basically just behaves like the biggest adolescent dickhead you could possibly imagine but then Newcastle score and it's very it very is. funny excellent I remember that day very well there we go Stephen Taylor king of shithousery uh <laughs> retiring at the age of 35 wonderful stuff uh, and just before we go as well um, some sad news this week uh, we learned that our former Newcastle boss and director of football as well Joel Kinnear uh, has been uh, diagnosed with dementia uh, and obviously we'd like to send him our best regards and, and I'm sure everybody listening to the podcast as well uh, would like to send our, our thoughts out to Joe and to his family as well uh, sad news this week Right, uh, that's it. We'll be back for another uh, another episode next week of Paul on the Time. Thanks to Chris and George. Always a pleasure. Chops, look after yourselves and have a good week. Uh, and thanks to all of you lot for listening as well. Take care of yourselves and bye for now. Athletic.